And so if you have your Bibles, won't you please turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 10. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. And I'll be uh, reading from verse 10 all the way to verse 17. Okay. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you, talking to the disciples, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, he's talking about the crowds that are listening to him, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This morning I want to preach not on a parable. Thank you so much, Mark. But I want to push the pause button for a moment and ask, why did Jesus preach the parables in the first place? And what has happened here is Jesus has just spoken about the parable which Mark Kukumura has preached on the parable of the sower. And the disciples ask him a question and says, Jesus, why do you preach in these funny stories? Because the problem with these stories is that they're not actually very understandable. They're not very clear. And so Jesus answers them. He says, disciples, I've shifted to this kind of preaching because these parables contain the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And he says that within these stories that I am telling these crowds and you, if you come to an understanding of what is in them, literally, heaven will open to you. And I want to talk about this morning, or start off the purpose of these parables, or unpacking what this purpose means is, what does Jesus mean about this term, the kingdom? It's not such an easy term. I've been a Christian for many, many years. And if I had to ask you to explain to me what the kingdom of heaven is here on earth, how would you answer me? See, it's not too easy to kind of explain 
this concept of the kingdom, and I'm going to unpack a little bit why, but in fact, this message of the kingdom of heaven was the main thing Jesus preached on. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the very first thing he proclaimed and spoke to the crowds that came to hear him after being tempted in the wilderness was repent. In other words, change your minds about what I am telling you. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a bit strange. Also, he said that when he went through, it went, Matthew says, when he goes through his entire preaching ministry in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, through all the cities Jesus went to, he spoke about the kingdom of God. He also said that his motivation was to usher in this kingdom. And how many of you here know the Lord's Prayer? Put up your hands. Yeah? It says, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when he teaches his disciples to pray, what's the next line? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In actual fact, the central request that we are to bring about in our prayer to the Father is asking for this kingdom to come. Not only that, he says, Disciples, if you want to come after me as a Christ follower, there is one thing you have to seek above everything in your life. And it comes in this same chapter of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. What things? The stuff that the world who does not know God intimately like a disciple does runs after is there is an order to the Christian's life, I want to say to you this morning, that trumps everything. In actual fact, the Christian life is an ongoing process of being clear about what you live for. And that is summarized in this line, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things be added unto you. Right before this, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus calls his disciples, and he sends them out in Matthew chapter 10, and he says, Disciples, if there is one thing you need to tell the world around you and display in your life, it is the kingdom. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But here's the problem. And it's, I think it's the problem that you share with me. And that the disciples had, it was this, is how do you proclaim something you don't know? You see, the kingdom of heaven is totally outside of what we know by nature. And Jesus says to these disciples, you need to proclaim the kingdom. But at the same time, I'm so grateful this morning he says it. He says, you need to grow in what you understand the kingdom of heaven is. And so Matthew chapter 10, all the way to Matthew chapter 13, Jesus unpacks what this kingdom is to his disciples. But when he comes to Matthew chapter 13, the chapter that we're looking at this morning is he goes into an intensive period of teaching what the kingdom is. But interestingly, he doesn't use plain language. He uses storytelling. And at each point of these parables, whether in the explanation or in the telling of the story, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who sows seed. The kingdom of heaven is like 
weeds. The king being sown into a, a, with good seed. The kingdom of heaven. Every point he is teaching his disciples to understand what is this motivation that drives us in this life as Christ followers. Because I put it to you this morning that this kingdom is not easily understood. Because it goes so against how we naturally like to operate. And I'm so grateful that Jesus takes his time in explaining the kingdom. Because you know what? For three years, whilst he was on this earth, he preached on what the kingdom was to his disciples. They still didn't quite get it. He dies and, and, and he's raised from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the 40 days he has, imagine this, Jesus could tell his disciples anything in the 40 days he has. Imagine that. Imagine today, Mark's in the classroom and Jesus rocks up and comes and trains him for 40 days. You know the thing that Jesus spoke about to his disciples? The one thing that was on his mind after his resurrection, before he went to heaven, was this. It says, he spoke about the kingdom of God. And even there, hold that thought, even there, the disciples didn't still quite understand it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they said to Jesus, Lord, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They only saw it again, as I argue this morning, the way we naturally lean towards how we see the kingdom. It's just as this physical realm, the level of our nature. The disciples could only see the kingdom as, will you make Israel great again? Physical nation. They could only see it as an earthly thing. But Jesus is saying, Guys, if you want to understand what's on my heart for you as my disciples, you need to understand what motivates me as your Lord. And it's the ushering in of this kingdom of heaven. Now, the reason why this kingdom of heaven is so difficult to grasp and understand is because, first and foremost, it's spiritual. How many of you have seen heaven? I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if someone put up their hand, by the way. I'm just, I'm just saying, you are the exception to the rule. And you, we've seen some sometimes dodgy books around heaven is so real. But I want to say this. For the 99.999999% of Christians, heaven is something unseen but yet so real. And so he's talking about a kingdom that is real, the kingdom of heaven, but you can't see. You know how tough that is. And the kingdom of heaven is really the realm of the spirits. And I want to put this point in this morning is that sets a precedent for how we engage with this kingdom. It's the only way you and I discover what it really is and how it advances is with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. I'll say it again this morning. The only way you get to know God is through the help of the Holy Spirit. It comes by revelation. The second point of why it's so difficult to understand is that it's internal. If I had to ask you, Kath, can you see the kingdom of God? No. Debs, have you ever seen the kingdom of God? No. Do you know that in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, you know how the kingdom works? It comes into our hearts. And the soil of the kingdom and the way it spreads is from one heart to the next. And that the way this kingdom moves and where we are at this moment is it is only partial. 
It hasn't come in its fullness. And it's still progressing. And what I mean by that is this. The difficulty of understanding the kingdom of God is we only see and experience it in part, the side of the grave. Can I, ex- can I expand a little bit like this? Sometimes in the church, there is a miracle of healing. But every time Mark and I pray, and when you pray for people to be healed, do you see healing happening? Do you? If you do, please come pray for me. I've got a few problems with my neck and my back. If, you're, if God answers your prayers every single time, we need you to operate in this church because there's a lot of sick people here this morning. But I guarantee you this morning, many of them have prayed for healing and are still waiting. But sometimes God breaks in and you get a flash of glory of what's to come. Because you know what heaven is? Wait for the amen until you hear the meaning. Do you know what the flash of glory is? It's in that moment you see all sickness abolished. And friends, that's what heaven is going to be like. But it only comes through in flashes because it's only partial. And how about this? In the church service, it happens often or maybe in your time with the Lord, you experience the presence of God. But that presence lifts, not so? And you just desperately say, please stay, stay, stay. It's so good in your presence. Please just wait, wait a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And it's gone. And you're left with just a taste of what is so real, but it doesn't stay. That's what the kingdom's like. Is we experience it partially, and it's a foretaste of what it's going to be eternally. And so this morning, you need to know that this kingdom is advancing even when we don't see it. In our own life, but in the world around us, this kingdom is moving from heart to heart. And it will come in fullness one day, but I have to ask you a question attached to this statement. This kingdom is going to come in its fullness when Jesus Christ, the King, comes again in glory. And I want to say what we see in part now, one day we will see in full And I have to ask you this morning, are you ready for that day? Because when Jesus comes again, it will be final. And those that have believed in him and confessed him as Lord and Savior, in other words, have embraced the message of this kingdom, which is called the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and staked their hope on his salvation and have been ushered into the kingdom. When Christ comes again on that day, we will see the kingdom of heaven in all of its power and glory. And in that moment, if you have not come to faith in Christ yet, it will be too late. Because in that moment, the kingdom's size will be final. And God will usher in what is eternal. And we are called to be ready for that day. And so, in our understanding of this, this is very important. Even though we experience the kingdom partially in this side, it's, it's still growing, it's still advancing, it's not finally come, it is at hand. We have to remember that it's not always going to be like this. Do you remember Cherie Null, who died a month ago in that tragic car crash? She is fully in the kingdom of God now. What we see in flashes of glory, she is seeing in fullness right now. 
Whilst we were worshipping Jesus here on earth, partially, she is worshipping him in fullness. And I want to say to you this morning, are you ready for that day? Because part of seeking the kingdom is being willing to wait and stake your life on that rather than what is passing away. And so this morning, this delay is not God being slow or unfaithful to his promise in ushering in what Jesus started. It is a season of mercy for you. Because unless you respond to Jesus before he comes, when he comes, it's too late. So, those are some of the difficulties around understanding the kingdom. And why the parables come in. And remember what a parable is? It's a simple story to explain a profound spiritual truth. Not so? The reason why they're parables is because they have to act as a bridge between our natural functioning, the way we think normally just by defaults, versus understanding how this realm of the Spirit works. And the stories Jesus tells helps us to move from a natural way of thinking into the realm of how the kingdom operates spiritually. Are you with me? And that means it helps us transition in understanding how we have to live out the kingdom in our very natural day-to-day experiences. And so Jesus tells his parables, and and I'll put it to you like this. The parables are the perfect example of what God is really like. So, I'm going to give you this morning one, two, three, four, five purposes of why Jesus preached in the parables. And I hope they're going to be a help to you as they've been to me. The first purpose is this, is that parables safeguard the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Look what Jesus says to the disciples. He says to you in verse 11, has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to the crowds it has not been given. In other words, this preaching of these parables, when you read a parable, I guarantee you, like me, the first time you read it is, what on earth is this about? Not so? You know, some people think the parables were there to help people understand the truth more easily. In actual fact, it was the other way around. He spoke in parables to hide the secrets of heaven from those who were not to know it. I'm going to explain that point now, a little bit later. But do you know that the parables were preached in order to keep, safeguard the secrets of heaven? And I'll ask you the question this morning. Can you cope with a God who keeps secrets from you and me? You see, the problem that you and I have in this day and age, as Christians or people who are exploring Christianity, is we think that we are coming to a God on an equal footing. That through our intellect and brains and rational thinking, we can kind of map out the totality of God in this lifetime. But can I ask you this morning, can you cope with the God of the Bible that in some aspects remains a mystery, this side of the grave? Can you cope with that? 
Because this is a very real problem in our lives. How many of you have ever asked God, why? Why, Lord? How many of you have ever come to a passage of Scripture and you're just going, I just can't understand this, and yet it's there. And friends, there are going to be stuff that God tells us and in things that He deals with. He takes things away that we don't want to give, and He gives things we don't like. And there's a mystery behind it that we have to try as Christians cope with. I want to ask you this morning, can you cope with a God who likes to be mysterious sometimes? And in this, because we are dealing with a God that is so glorious and so infinite, so powerful, idle brains can't cope with him. And in actual fact, the point of the parables is this, is that we need his help to understand anything about himself. It says, to you has been given, been given. These disciples have been given the ability to understand the teachings of these parables. And what this means is, is that ultimately, church, we worship a God with deep humility because ultimately we can understand nothing without him. How seriously do you take that in your life? Because the reality is this, is without the Holy Spirit, you cannot grasp an ounce of who God is. And it's sheer grace every time he comes to you, every time God reveals something about himself to you, it is sheer grace that he does it. It is help from heaven. And so I want to say this morning, parables, the second point, not only safeguard the secrets of heaven, but they come as a form of judgment. And Jesus puts it like this. He says, this is why I speak to them, the crowds in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, lest they should turn and I would heal them. What's happened here is Jesus in the beginning of his ministry preached really plainly. He preached in a way that anybody could understand. But again and again and again, Israel rejected him. And in Matthew chapter 13, that second, it changed to parables. He says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 34, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without, parables, without a parable because of this, is that if we reject the word of God repeatedly, the form of judgment that comes upon a life is, we can no longer have opportunity to respond. And the parables come at a time in Israel where they were rejecting Jesus and his message in a simple form, in a clear form, in an outright form, so that so much so in chapter 13, Jesus switches to telling parables so that it is more difficult for them to understand. Now, I'm not saying that this is a comfortable message this morning, but I will say this. This comes with serious warning to the Christian and to the person who's confronted with the Word of God is that there is a period of mercy that God comes again and again and again with clarity and the word from heaven. But don't take that word for granted. It may not come again. And for the Israelites, the door had closed 
at this period of history, I was thinking, praise God for Pentecost, because if it was not for Pentecost and Peter preaching to the thousands who were in front of him who got saved, God's grace still abounded. But at this stage, God's word was closed to them. It was judgment because they had repeatedly rejected him. And so the third point is this, is that the parables come to display God's sovereignty. What do I mean by that word sovereignty this morning? It means he, God, is in full control of everything and does not ask our permission in how he exercises it. He says to his disciples, to you, God has decided to you it will be given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, God has decided it has not been given. Can I say it is as powerful as this? God decides how, when, and if he reveals himself to someone. How many of you here have been praying for a loved one to come to Christ for years? How many of you are still praying? How many of you have tried like me to beat the Bible into their heads? How many of you are still praying? How many of you would never have dreamed of how God reached into your life and saved you? You know, I was born with parents who loved Jesus. I didn't choose that. God graciously gave that to me on the day I was born. Some of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ when you are 60, 70, 80 years old. You've discovered Jesus. How? Why? When Matt Johnson was saved when he was a little three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, somewhere around there, and you get saved at 60, I can't explain it. But praise God, you're saved. Why, why do I say that? God chose the time. God chose the season. God chose the place. God chose the how. You were given the opportunity to respond. And what connected was a soft heart to the gospel. But the problem here is a repeated hardening. And so when God answers Moses' reply to say, Moses, and God, show me your glory. God says this, I will make to Moses all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim to you my name, the Lord. But this is how the name plays out. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. May I just say this morning, that's why every time you see something about God, it is the most precious gift from heaven because it's been given to you. You didn't think that up. You didn't dream that up. God decided on this day, Roy, I'm going to show you myself. And I want to say this morning, that's the problem with the church today is that we have lost this God of sovereign glory. Is if you go into the bookshops today, Instead of having a God who is in full control, what is taught is actually we dictate to God. And it comes out like this. Maybe you know these phrases. You declare your healing. You speak your blessing. You proclaim your success. You claim. You demand, in a sense. In other words, in this way of thinking, what you say, God must do. It comes in different names. It's called the prosperity gospel. 
It's called the gospel of self-esteem. That actual fact, God's fundamental premise towards you is to make you happy. Friends, the way they say that, happy, that happiness comes is God gives you exactly what you want. It's nonsense. Do you know why? It leads to a massive crisis of faith. Because as an elder, with my fellow elders, how many times have we prayed for healing? And I say, before you come, I'm being a bit honest here, and I want to put the oil on that forehead, which I'm hoping to do for some after the service. I'm asking, God, please give me the prayer of faith, please. James 5. Do you know that I can count on my hand the number of times God has answered? Is I am so aware, even as a preacher, and the level that you understand and the power that I have coming from the pulpit, God decides. And I cannot hold him ransom. And so, how many in salvation, we're still trusting in healing, we're still trusting in guidance. God, what is your will? Show me, show me. Some of us are still waiting. Because we serve a sovereign God. And can I put this to you this morning? The greatest test for you and me is whether or not you'll let God be himself to you. If you can just cope with God being God. You know the person who struggled with this was Jesus before he went to the cross. When the will of the, the Father, who was sovereign, confronted the human will of Jesus. Remember, he was 100% God and 100% man. What did Jesus say to the Father? Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Is the greatest challenge of encountering a sovereign God is whether you'll submit to his authority when it costs you and it's sacrificial when you'll let him be himself. And Job found it. Job lost his family, his health. He lost his possessions. And he had to come to this place where he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. He's saying, God, I will affirm you in your sovereignty even when you take away, not just when you give. And I want to say the test of maturity for the Christian is this is the quicker you realize that you'd rather have him in control than yourself. What did God work through the cross that seemed devastating for, his, for Christ's disciples? They, were, they, they ran for their lives. They were the most dejected, disappointed bunch of people on the planet the moment Christ was crucified. Christ himself had to embrace the cup he didn't want to drink. But on the other side, when it says in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, according to the definite foreknowledge of God, on the other side of trusting the authority of the Father in heaven came the greatest blessing to the world, not only to the world, to Jesus Christ. On the other side of submitting to the will of the Father, he was exalted to the right hand of God so that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He would not have gotten that if he hadn't submitted to the will of the Father. And you know what I'm learning, church? Can I be vulnerable this morning before you? Is that at every time Matt decides to do what he wants, going against the Lord, it is a mess. But... Every time, even in the struggle of submission, there is a yielding. God shows himself. 
And sometimes he only shows himself on the other side of the grave. I cannot tell Cherie's mom why God has taken both of her children before her. But I've watched that lady submit to even when God takes away. And I'm seeing a comfort that has come from heaven that she would not have gotten if there was no submission to the Lord. There's mystery, but she says, Lord, I trust you. And may I say this this morning? The hope of your recovery when you've been stupid like me is that God's sovereign. What is that scripture that says, for God works all things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's God. He redeems sickness, divorce, moral failures. He steps in where there's brokenness. And in his sovereignty says, it's okay. I'm able to work it for the good. You don't get that unless you trust in a sovereign God. And the problem is this, and I say to you this morning, and I'm jealous for you this morning. If you give into that teaching of these popular teachers, it will rob you of the peace of knowing that God is in control. If you want to sit on the throne of your life and dictate to God, you will land up in the mess that I have been in time and time again. But when you will yield to a God who is mysterious, even when he calls you to give up what you don't want to, or when you want to submit, even when you don't want to, when you do that, you get the peace of knowing. God is with you and he's able to work all things for the good. And suddenly that yielding of control lets him be himself. Suddenly you're not stressed about, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do? Because you know you're sovereign in the hand of a God who's able to give it at the right time. I'm running out of time. But I'm going to end on this note. Is that these parables hold a promise for you and me. And the promise is this. Jesus says in verse 12, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The promise is this. If you will let God be God in your life and you will submit and trust him and you will respond in obedience every time he shows you himself, you will get much more. So much so that for the Christian who lives in submission to this God of glory, it says we will have an abundance. How many of you want to know God? How many of you want to know him more than what you do right now? How willing are you to respond to him in what he's saying to you in your life at this moment? Because the one who responds gets more. But the flip side of that is this. The one who doesn't, even what he has will be taken away.
And what that means is what's happened to these Israelites is God comes again and again and again and again and again. And their rejection of what God is coming and saying to them leads them to lose any insight they originally had. But I say to you this morning, Ridge, the Lord has been good to us here. I look across this hall and I see God has touched lives in amazing ways. And I believe God is saying to us as a church, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. But my concern is for myself and for you and me, and for you, is sometimes we get too comfortable in what we know, and sometimes we get too comfortable in letting God touch things in our lives that he's wanting. And my question to you this morning is, what is the posture of your heart to God? Because that's the thing the parable of the sower talks about, is the four soils. Is your heart to know Jesus? Is your heart to respond to his voice? It's still soft. Is the pulpit still open to your life? Or do you come to church saying, I've done this for 30 years, what can you tell me? In that relationship, in that temptation, in that habit, this is a challenge I give myself and to you this morning is God calls us to respond. And our response to yield to him leads to great blessing. But our response to resist him and something we can avoid is it leads to loss. And so as we go into communion this morning, I want you to be gracious to me because you're going to go back to a week where you're going to have loads of other distractions. And this is one moment for the Lord to speak to us. But I felt there are three groups of people here this morning in our response. The first is, I sense that there is a great struggle here in yielding to something God is asking you to do. Or to give up or to change. And there is a desperate struggle for authority in your life. I want to encourage you. God has proven himself to you. He's good. To trust him. To yield. But the second group here this morning is, you are waiting for an answer from God. And it has been a very dry season for months, possibly years. God just doesn't seem to speak to you. You find yourself in some sort of trial that's been very painful, not only because of its circumstance, but because of God's absence. I want to ask you, what was the last thing God said to you, and are you doing it? Sometimes it's not about a fresh word that he says to us. It's about a word we haven't applied. And sometimes it's about a space of going, I'm going to let you be God in this season. I'm going to trust you regardless of knowing where this is going. 
And the third kind of people here this morning is you've really messed up. If you were to talk about resisting God, you'll say, I'll be number one on that list. I believe God's calling you out this morning and saying, is anything bigger than I am? I'm in control of your life. You let me work it out, but you've got to get up. You've got to get going. The quicker the better. So Lord, part us with your blessing, we pray. May you seal these words of your word in our hearts. May the blood of Christ just cleanse our minds afresh this week. Make us strong, Lord, to freshly yield to all that you ask us to in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.